stories, spirituality, pathways, and aliens. You're here on The Long Road Home. That's the sound that your turkey made before its head got cut off. Oh. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. How's it going, everyone? Are you guys ready to eat all the things? I'm assuming. I know I am. Yeah. I'm assuming you might already have by the time you listen to this. We're releasing this on the day of Thanksgiving. This is true. Maybe you're in the kitchen smelling things cooking. Yeah. Getting a little antsy. Needing something to do. Watching the game. We're here for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Long Road Home. I'm Emily. And I'm Chad. Once again, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Guys, we hope that if you decided to travel, you did so as safely as possible to get to where you're going. And if you decided to avoid the inevitable confrontations between you and the rest of your family by staying at home this year, congratulations. You did it. My mom's going to be so mad at me. (laughs) Um, we, we all know that this is a tough time for folks, uh, visiting family or not. So that's why we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks cooking up some fun, lighthearted episodes, uh, to try to make the holiday season a little easier for everyone. This week, we decided to take a look at some monsters from Native American folklore. Guys, what better way to try and forget that this holiday is all about how Europeans gave most of North America smallpox for decades. We want to start this off by saying that we have nothing but respect for Native Americans and their culture. What we are doing today, though, is a quick look at several creatures that are found in Native American lore throughout America. Uh, Hopefully one day we'll be able to look into this type of lore in a little more detail when we have a producer doing most of the heavy lifting. (laughs) So this is going to be more of a brief, entertaining skim at a look at some creatures that you might not know about. That's right. So should I kick us off? Yeah, but before we begin with our first creature, here's a list of the places that we got the material for today's episode. I got my stuff from thoughtcatalog.com. Uh, some website called itsmyth.fandom.com, and myth is spelled without a Y, uh, 25yearslatersite.com, legendsofamerica.com, thecanadianencyclopedia.ca, and backstoryradio.org. Also, one last one, historycollection.com. I think we both used that article. We did. I also used NBC Montana um, and a book called Indian Legends, written by Ella Elizabeth Clark. I also used um, nativelanguages.org, grunge.com, and anthrosource.onlinelibrary.wiley.com. Okay, so now that we got through all of our sources, should I kick us off? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I'm going to take us over to Flathead Lake, located in good old Montana. Nice. Flathead Lake is a large natural lake in northwest Montana and is the largest natural freshwater lake by surface area in the uh, that is west um, of the Missouri River. Oh, cool. The lake is a remnant of the ancient massive glacial dammed lake, Lake Missoula, of the era of the last interglacial. So it's a big lake. Yeah, it's huge. Just to give you an idea on where it is and how big it is, Flathead Lake is seven miles south of Kalispell and is approximately 30 miles long and 16 miles wide, covering 197 square miles. That is a lot. It is massive. We've driven around Flathead Lake. It's humongous. Beautiful area. Great methamphetamine as well. Oh, my God. Jesus. (laughs) 
Um, so it's actually larger in surface area than Lake Tahoe, um, but is much smaller in volume due to Lake Tahoe's depths. But Flathead Lake is actually pretty deep as well. It has a maximum depth of 370 feet. So you got a big old lake in your mind? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, I had never been to a lake that big until we went to Flathead Lake for the first time. And it was really cool to see like how like choppy the water is. Like It felt like you were at the beach almost. Yeah, it's strange to be at a lake and not really be able to see the other side very well. We don't have lakes like that in North Carolina. The story of a monster in Flathead Lake originates in a Kootenai traditional legend. The following is an excerpt from Indian Legends from the Northern Rockies. The first Indians lived on an island in Flathead Lake, not far from Elmo, which I looked it up, and that is a small community on the southwest side of the lake, kind of near Polson. One winter, they decided to move camp. They crossed on the ice, carrying packs on their backs. As two girls got about halfway across the lake, they saw an antler of some animal sticking up out of the ice. The antlers were about two feet long. I'll chop it off, said one girl. I might need it. Don't touch it, said the older girl. It's kind of a mystery, an antler growing out of the ice. We mustn't cut it. But her friend was determined, although she did realize the danger. If anything should happen in the ice, she asked, do you have any power to escape? Yes, I'd become a ball, replied the older girl. That's my special power. Have you any power? Yes, I'd become a round buckskin target. I'd get to land that way. Oh, like a parachute? I believe so. What's tr- like? I, that's something like you know, all those old... Like origin tales and stuff, the things that people morph into. It, it's very interesting and it's so very strange. casual, like just casually dropped in these stories. I read this story in particular was confirmed on multiple different sites and was told in almost the exact same way. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, um, the girls waited until the other people had almost reached the shore. Then, with sharp edged rocks, they began cutting the antler. When they cut through to the middle, the antler began shaking. Then the ice around them began shaking. Soon it split into chunks and pieces. As the ice between the girls and the shore broke, the head of a monster appeared, shaking its huge antlers. Now this is interesting too, we should note, that the antlers don't come up in any other stories. Maybe it's because the girls cut them off. I don't know. Yeah, I thought that's what the whole point of the story was, is they cut them off. I guess not. Quickly, the girls called on their powers. One became a ball, the other a round buckskin target. They reached the shore safely, but one half of their people were drowned. Brutal. Brutal story. Yeah, they fucked up. Yeah, they did. Um, And then it goes on to say, that is why there are few Kootenai Indians. The monster was never seen again, but our people never again went very far in the lake. Not many years ago, some white men who were fishing on Flathead Lake said they had seen a strange animal in the water. Whoa. So, um, yeah, that's it for the excerpt that I found in that book. However, there are a lot of other local local tales but before we go any further if you haven't kind of guessed by now this being a lake monster um the flathead lake monster is supposed to be very similar to um that of loch ness so much so that locals even named this monster flessy flessy <laughs> very creative it's not as good as old hank it's, or old ned it's not as good old as old ned, ned. <laughs> it was not very original favorite lake monster name that was, I mean, that's definitely probably going to be one of the better cryptids we come across, name-wise. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Elusive, old Ned is. Um, so, according to retired newspaper editor Paul Fugelberg, local tales of the Flathead Monster go back more than 100 years. It was supposedly first reported in 1889 by Captain James C. Kerr of the Lake Steamboat, the U.S. Grant 
who claimed he and his 100 passengers saw an unusually large whale-like creature, whale-like object in the water. According to the story, one of the passengers on the steamer shot at the creature and sent it diving for safety. Like any true cryptid tale. Shoot at it. You shoot at it. Just shoot at it. (laughs) Contemporary reports of sightings of Flessy by local residents and visitors average between one and two each year. However, in 1993 alone, there were about 13 reports. Um, The monster is usually described as a large eel-shaped creature, round with a wavy body like a snake, 20 to 40 feet long, having brownish to blue-black skin and grayish-black eyes. No horns anymore, though. No more antlers. Yeah, I, I think they cut them off. In some stories, I will say, in some you versions, assholes. they had made it through. All, they had made it through the antler when they awoke in the beast. Yeah. Um, so that quote had said that they were in the middle of it, but like I don't know, they knocked it loose at least. According to Fugelberg, quote: When I was the editor of Flathead Courier at Polson, author Dorothy Johnson, then secretary of the Montana Press Association, advised me to not treat sighting reports lightly in newspaper and magazine articles. She said, I don't think the monster should be done with tongue-in-cheek. You have eyewitness accounts by people who were scared and don't think it's funny. In a more recent story, Jim Manley and his wife Julia were near Big Arm in 2005. Their boat battery died and they were waiting for a ride. They had been swimming alongside the boat and were relaxing when they heard a strange noise. Quote, I remember saying, look, look, that's it, we're seeing it. Jim Manley said. I knew immediately because the descriptions are all the same. It was like 25 feet from what we could see and humps. 13 years later, it's still like I can see it. It hasn't changed my belief, Julia explained. We heard a loud splashing. That's the part nobody can explain to me. If it was just an optical illusion, how do you explain the loud splashing? Afterwards, it was a little eerie that the thing was swimming underneath us. If there's something here, I think it's shy and it avoids boats as long as it can, Jim Manley said. So that was a that was a unique story uh, in particular because I got to watch a clip of them talking about their story. And in the story, I guess their bro- their boat broke down, right? Um, and they were in the water and they had this sighting. And then as as they were witnessing Flessy in the flesh, the rescue boat came up to them, um, and they tried to get their rescuers' attention and say like, "Look, look, do you see it?" But apparently, the the rescuers just thought that they were waving at them, so they waved right back, and then Flessy swam away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Maybe they just they knew they were like, oh man, that's fucking flashy over there. They're trying to point, make us go get him. No, just uh, just wave. They're waving. We don't have our guns. We cannot shoot at it right now. So we're just gonna we're gonna wave at them. Okay, guys, you ready? <laughs> Smile and wave. Per- protocol boys. says shoot. Smile and wave. Protocol says shoot. We don't have the guns. We gotta just wave. Um, I did want to say also that in the 1950s, a significant cash reward was offered um, that to anyone that could catch Flessy. Um, but nobody ever claimed the prize. There was a man that caught a seven foot six inch, 181 pound sturgeon that is still located in the Polson Flathead Historical Museum. Sturgeon so I, are fucking huge. They are massive. That's it's probably scary. not even that big of a sturgeon. I don't know how big sturgeon get, but I know that they like grow throughout their whole lifetime. So, I mean, that's like one of the possibilities people claim to say that it's just a sturgeon in the lake. So, yeah, th- that is one of the the possible explanations is they think that it is just a big sturgeon but i will say that julia manley uh in that in that report that i watched um she said it was she specifically said it was not a sturgeon she goes like mm-hmm. she, she said, see a lot of sturgeon <laughs> i mean she lives on the lake yeah she, she does i don't trust lake people that's my problem with any lake monster sighting is i don't trust lake people okay well what about old net chad 
You can't just pick and choose. He's which Canadian. Lakes it. Okay. Yeah, okay. they're different. This is very close to Canada. Do they it, not get grandfathered in? It is once again great myth. Great myth in Kalispell. Fugelberg wrote that claimed sightings of the monster have been blamed on quote hyperactive imaginations, playful pranks, natural phenomena such as wave action, shadows, lighting effects, log, and a number of animals, including bears, horses, deer, elk, a dead monkey. A loose circus <laughs> seal, uh, and even an escaped buffalo. You know, I don't condone it, but I love that at some point in America's history, there were just tons of loose circus animals roaming about. Those must have been the days. Uh, yeah, you could just do it at better times. You could do anything you wanted. Not like the government lets us do now, you know what I mean? Fugelberg also said, quote, It's important to note that everyone he has talked to said the monster isn't scary, just big. They all agree it's nothing to be afraid of. Let's just say, for now, the legend is as deep and quiet as Flathead Lake. All right. That's fla- Flessy? Flessy. People the up Flathead there do like the Flathead Lake monster. They really do. People are very invested in that creature yeah, up there's, in Kalispell. There's like a Which cafes. is a beautiful area. I'm joking around, but it's, it is very nice. It's a there. gorgeous area. It and is. there are cafes and bakeries and restaurants that all have their own version of Flessy hanging around. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely a local legend. Yeah. Cool. Great first story. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, so my first creature is the big owl, also known in southern United States as Lechuza. Ooh. So the big owl is a mythological race of cannibalistic owl women, according to the folklore of the Yakima people, the inhabitants of modern-day Washington state. These creatures live in caves and hunt the people of nearby tribes, preferring the taste of children. Yeah, so they like veal Oh, God. We we have a brief summary of the Big Owl lore from none other than a Twin Peaks website who links some of the show's imagery to the Native American legend of the Pacific Northwest. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is really cool because owls go hand in hand with like uh, a lot of bad omens in Native American folklore and even like old timey folklore. And also gray owls are associated with aliens. Oh, really? Yes. And sometimes uh, they're seen to get they're They're seen. One after the other. That's yeah, what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. Jesus, fucking stuck in my brain. Am I having a stroke? Uh, anyway. No, it's just the year 2020. Anyway. Just fried my whole... My, uh, I have a fried <laughs> egg in my skull right now. Anywho, according to the article, owls are often seen as a portent to evil in many of the tribal mythology in the Pacific Northwest. There are a few stories about the owl women in the Yakima tradition that are of interest. They were ancient people who ate members of tribes and also amphibians, but their favorite food to hunt were children. They were tricksters, numbering five sisters, called the Tata Clea, and lived in a cave. I did not look this up, sorry. A legend is that a young Shasta boy, the Shasta Indian tribe, Native American tribe, excuse me, was captured by the Tata Clea, but they decided not to eat him. He was able to escape and return to his people. What happened to the boy after that point isn't really discussed, at least not in the research that the person who wrote the article was found. Uh, maybe look more into that. We can figure out what happened to the little kid. I bet you people were probably more focused on the stories that he was telling than the kid himself. Yeah, probably. So that's probably where the, the yeah. record of the little kid went, right? Exactly. He's gone. They always ask, how are the owl women? But not how is the little Shasta boy who ran away. Over time, <laughs> two of... I'm just going to start calling them owl women because I can't keep saying this because I feel like I'm destroying it and I feel bad. Uh, over time, two oh, of the owl... So for my story, should I? Okay, sorry. I'm about. I'm gonna butcher another one later on. So. Um, well, it's we okay. Yeah. It's okay. Sorry. 
Over time, two of the Owl women were destroyed when the cave they lived in became red hot and a great wind blew them away, which the writer of this article believes is an allegory for an ancient volcanic eruption. Oh. Yeah, it it makes sense. That's cool. Another drowned and is believed that from this sister's eye, all the owls in the world came. As she died, she was cursed, being told, from now on, your eye will be the only part of you to act. At night, it will go to certain birds, the owls. So that's the story of the owl women. Ouch. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story, though, that I've never heard before. It's a cool like, creature, I think. Oh, definitely. No, I was just saying it's like that curse sucks. Oh, yeah. No, it's terrible. <laughs> That's awful. I don't know. There's worse birds could be part of. She was eating babies, so. Yeah. She had it coming. <laughs> she had it coming. She only had herself to blame. <laughs> you just. If uh, you'd have been there, if you'd have seen it, you would have done the same. I'm sorry. Eight babies? That's, no, giving her the curse. Oh. Come on, keep up, Chad. I was singing from the perspective of the cursor, not uh, the cursing. I see. Once again, fried egg brain. It's okay. Mine too. It's just like a random karaoke's playing in there. Let's go. <laughs> sorry. So some form of this monster spreads south throughout the years from those Pacific Northwest tribes. And now this beast is also part of legends in the southwest region of the country, along with Mexico. Recent years have seen reports of an owl-like monster called Le Lechuza in relation to unexplained deaths and sinister occurrences in the region. The Lechuza is reflected in the folklore of numerous other native tribes, including the Seminole Stikini, Stikini? Yeah. Including the Seminole Stikini and Wabanaki Siplak. I, I, once again, sorry. The Stikini are believed to be evil witches with the power to transform themselves into owl-like creatures. During the daytime, they walk among the Seminoles, but at night, they vomit their souls and become undead owl monsters that feast upon human hearts. Among some communities, it is feared even speaking the name risks turning yourself into one, whilst others use the Stikini as a children's boogeyman. Similarly, the Siplak is a dangerous bird spirit, possessing a spectral cry and taking the form of a large owl with only its head and talons visible to the human eye. As with some Seminole communities, the Siplak has typically been used by the Wabanaki in children's folktales. So this version of the owl women, to me, seems more modern in terms of, like, I would compare it to almost like witch stories. Because, I like, I mean, even in children's books, you hear about, like, so looking back into this, I was reading stories about, like, how they would harm one of them and they would come back and someone's arm would be hurt where they hurt the, the owl monster. And so it's kind of like the same stories with the witches where there's a cat and they cut the cat's hand off, and they come back, and the witch's hand's gone the next day. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so it's it's become, it seems like further south, it's not so much a creature as it is a witch. Uh, the folklore is like a little different as well. It's like if you try to kill it and you don't, you will die, things like that. Uh, and it's also, it's less of an owl creature and more of an owl with a woman's face, which is equally as terrifying. Definitely. Yeah. It Maybe might, even more so. Yeah, I don't know what I would do if I saw that. Are you a ma'am? Are you okay? Yes. Ma'am. How did you get in that owl? Ma'am, did you know? <laughs> did you know you were an owl? So La Lechuza is uh, still kind of seen today, according to some people. There's still like sightings here and there of uh, this owl. People claim to have been attacked by it. There are stories of people dying from it. Uh, it definitely is more of a children's deterrent more than anything, but there are claims that people still see this thing today. And I saw a picture of a gigantic owl that they claim to not have identified, but it's the internet. They might just be lying. Or maybe tell. they're telling the truth. Who can say? The internet speaks in riddles and truths, and we don't know which is right. 
Um, no, that's a great story, though. And and I'm sure, like, with a lot of the lore, the, the sightings, I feel like, go down because of um, – I think that sightings, like, sightings could go down because the creature – didn't exist or if you want to look at it another way sightings could go down because we're like too involved with ourselves and technology to be paying any attention to see him anymore yeah we've lost that psychic energy connected to the spirit world and that's why santa claus's sleigh doesn't run anymore you don't know you don't know that chad that's what elf chad elf taught me that no it does though that's the you know you missed the whole point i'll tell you one thing they get it working again i'll tell you one thing ain't nobody getting shit this year chad we don't know who our listeners are. Wait, don't wait. listen to him, kids. Apocalypse Radio. Don't listen to him, kids. Santa's coming. Guess what? He's immune to COVID. It's wonderful. He's magic. I'm very happy for him. Thank you. Yeah, I really like learning about the Big Al. I'm very curious to find more about them because it seems like like I'm really into um, older legends, and it seems like Lechuza is definitely more modern, like I said. So I really like looking back at like where all these legends came from. To begin with. Right, and like so, the big wind. Yeah, exactly. Like, I want to look more into that. Yeah, that'd be cool. At some point. So. Okay. Well, I am just going to start my story off by saying that there are a couple of names in here. I'm going to do my best. Um, and if I feel like I'm butchering them uh, terribly, then we'll just um, come up with another another way, to, another name for them. But right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. Go for it. Okay. So my second uh, legend is that of the Katkitawak, or Stiff-Legged Bear. See, did that sound? It sounded right. Please correct me. If you listen and you know, I, I want to learn. Yes. Um, there's just, both uh, unfortunately, a lot of these um, names and legends actually have multiple pronunciations, and I have trouble with all of them. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. The First Nations people of Eastern Canada, such as the Cree, had a creepy legendary creature known as the Katsitawak, or stiff-legged bear, according to native languages. These bears were a bit larger than your typical bear, but were also hairless and had oversized heads. They also had an unusual way of getting around. Their legs had no joints in them, so the stiff-legged bears hobbled around with an unusual gait. Which would probably be deeply unsettling if you saw it in the wild. Yeah, it's like uh, four peg legs jogging around. I always pictured him walking upright, but I think that that's probably more accurate. It's upright? Like people, that's even scarier. It is scarier, <laughs> but, I, so, but I think you're probably right. It's like those people that walk around on the four-legged stilts. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Um, and of course, uh, the- These people are very talented. They are very- Let's just talk about that for a second. They're very gifted in being creepy- yeah, I've never been on stilts. That takes a lot of a lot of commitment. Yeah. to be that four-legged stilt person. It does, and also the like guys body strength, right? Yeah. Like, what about the people that are on the uh, bendy, the big I poles that just swing do back the and forth? Pole. That just swing back and forth, just high as balls. I'm assuming. Do you think they're roped in? I don't know. They're living life on the edge. They're to- they are utterly How free. How do you get down? I don't know. How do you get up? They're, they are free spirits. Our listeners don't know what we're talking about. Because I can up. see you going like this with your arm, but they can Literally, can't. just Google uh, bendy pole people. It's going to be some weird strip club. No, it's not. It's going to be these people. No, I was right. Oh, were you? <laughs> <laughs> it's not It's not what I'm talking about. Pole moves for bendy back ideas. <laughs> That's okay. Don't, don't Google bendy that. Bendy poses pole. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> it's bendy pole, people. It's right here. Sway poles. Good job. Yeah, so don't Google bendy pole people. Don't Google bendy pole people. <laughs> Google sway poles. 
and check them out. We're way off course. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy you enjoying that turkey? How's the dextrotryptophenamin coming into your body, making you sleepy? Are you hiding in the bathroom listening to a podcast, just trying to make it through? I spent plenty of bathroom time at home during Thanksgiving. <laughs> just waiting. Um, okay, so how did we get here? How did we get Voluntarily here? We reading about- shampoo bottles. Ignoring my phone. You know what's really funny is at the start of this sentence, I, I actually cut it off mid-sentence and was going to come back to the end of the sentence. But <laughs> um, so we're gonna we're gonna take it back. We were talk we got to stilts and pole people because we were talking about the Katsitawak and um their unusual gait because they had no joints in their legs, but also it loved to eat humans. Well, of course, what of good course. monster doesn't like just the taste of human flesh? Something about us. Mighty tasty. So I think it's because humans probably taste good, but also I think it's also kind of like a fuck you. I mean, if you were this like crazy mystic being living on Earth, watching humans think that they were like tough shit, wouldn't you also kind of just be like, fuck these humans? I'm eating your baby. Yeah. These guys need to be humbled a little bit. They're getting a little too wild. Just a little bit. I could show them how these stiff-legged bears roll. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to include this part because I thought that it was interesting. While these monstrous bears are folklore, it's worth noting that hairless bears do exist, such as Eve, who was found in 2017. Yeah, she's cute. She's cute. It was. She was found in California, uh, underweight and unable to grow a coat of fur, according to the Humane Society. Bears with mange, like Eve, or other illnesses can also lose some or even most of their fur. So that's what happened to little Eve. She's um, better now, though, But right? she's better now. Yeah, good for her. They, like, put her into rehab, and she's looking great. She's thriving. She really is. Um, but I just had to include that because that was that was a <laughs> reference to a hairless bear that I saw recently. Um, she has all her joints, though. She does have all of her joints, and she's very petite. So, the following story is a Native American tale uh, that I found in an anthropology journal. Cool. Kudos to finding all the actual tales as well. Thank you. I had a lot less luck. I just really, yeah, I really wanted to find some of the stories, so I, I dug in a little, a little deep. Deeper and deeper. Deeper and deeper. Um, okay, so then this one also has a Native American name, and I'm going to do my best with it. Um, Sekebek was living near a mountain with his sister. Every time he started to go hunting, he would begin to sing, and so she would know he was about to leave. This time, she began to fear for him and said, Don't go over that mountain or you will be killed. There's a monster living there who eats people. Do not say that, he replied. Every time you tell me not to go somewhere, it makes me afraid. Why do you not want me to go over there? What people has the great beast eaten? He has killed and eaten our dear parents, said his sister. Oh no! How can he be known and what is he called? He is very large, as large as that rock, which I should note that it uh, there's a, a note at the bottom. It's not a rock. It's a mountain. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. He seems really like uh, not super concerned. That his parents were Oh, eating. no. It's almost like he was complicit. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny. These these stories, um, they, they really just want to jump right in. So like what what the creature is. No, I mean so it's, like yeah. this is the whole like why shouldn't I go? Well, cause it killed our parents. I'm gonna go kill it. Like that's it's like there's no that would be traumatic, and I am sure that he needed a moment to process this before it, entertainment. <laughs> it's just easier back then. So she continues. He is very large, as large as that rock, and he is called Katsitawak or stiff jointed bear. Do not go over there because he will eat you too, and then I will be alone. And she began to cry. Sekebek, however, took his bow and arrows and went over the height of the land to the place where the monster was said to live. 
When he got to that country, he went along looking for signs of Kitsitawak while singing his hunting song. While singing his hunting song, stiff-jointed bear, I am hunting him. He sang over and over. That's it. That's it. So I did like a little bit of grouse research last uh, summer, and that's uh, when I was going up the trail. I saw a whole lot of bear fur and a whole lot of fresh bear poop, and I did something similar, and I just shouted, "Hey, bear!" for an hour and a half. But you didn't shout, hey, bear, I'm coming to kill you. No, I said, hey, hey, I'm here. Please don't fuck me up. (laughs) Right. You were a little more humble. I have a GPS. That's all I got. (laughs) At last, he met a great white beast and prepared to attack him. Are you Katsitawak? He asked him. No, I am not. I am a white bear. Oh, then you are not the one I am looking for. Where can I find him? He lives farther on and is very dangerous. No arrow can kill him, and if you go there, he will eat you as he has the others. I'm not afraid of him. I'm going to attack him. And Sekibank went on, singing his hunting song. At last, he found Katsitawak. He was as big as a hill of rock. Said Sekibank, are you Katsitawak? Yes, answered the beast. Why do you come here? Do you not know that you'll be eaten? No, I will not be eaten. I have come here to kill you. I am Sekibank. You cannot kill me with your arrow. Do you see that tamarack tree there? I am tougher than that, and your arrow will break to pieces if you shoot. If that is all, my arrow will kill you. See that? And he shot an arrow into the tree, and the tree shattered into fragments. Oh, no! Oh, shit! (laughs) Well, now, said Katsitawak, as he began to be afraid. I am even tougher than that rock! He pointed to a rock nearby, and the rock broke into pieces. With this, Katsitawak became frightened and ran away to escape. Then Sekebek quickly went to the rock and pulled his arrow out and shot in the direction of the running beast without even being able to see him. So good was his aim that it struck the monster and he fell down dead. Sekebek followed after and there he found Katsitawak shot dead with the arrow. Then he took his knife and cut him open to see if Katsitawak had eaten their parents. When he cut Katsitawak open, he found in his stomach two bunches of hair. One, a man's, tied behind with the hair tie. Tied behind with a hair tie. The other, a woman's, tied on each side with woman's hair ties. He then took the hair ties and started back to his camp. When he came, his sister was waiting for him. He showed her the hair ties, and she knew by them that Sekebek had killed the monster who had eaten their parents. So that's the origin story of the Katsitawak. Some people believe that the stiff-legged bear uh, is actually a representation of mastodons or woolly mammoths, still still preserved in Native American stories thousands of years after they became extinct. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that part of the story is really cool. Yeah, I love, like, and this goes back to, like, the owl women. Like, the the origin of, like, deep time is something that's so hard for us to comprehend, and those things that happened that long ago and what they've become now is so interesting to me. Me too, and and I'm not going to get super into it. Maybe we can do a story on it, but where I got this little bit of information, it also referenced that like people in Europe would find do- dinosaur skeletons and claim that they were dragons, like dragon bones. Yeah, uh, there's a similar instance of uh, some sort of a giant snake creature that I was, I was going to look more into, but it was the same type of thing as they, they believe that they found uh, dinosaur bones. And they created stories around them. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's how crazy awesome. would that be to find a giant fucking skeleton in the ground? Like, how it would do you be crazy explain now. that? You just go, yeah, that was a fucking bear. <laughs> yeah, that's like the closest thing to me is a this. I have no, no comprehension 
of a dinosaur. Uh, and you see something like that, but once again, it's like the mate. It's like we don't know what was happening. We don't know what was going on back then. We don't. But I actually I have a list of um, ideas that support this connection. So here we go. Uh, some southeastern Na- some southeastern Native American people used their word for the stiff-legged bear or a big man eater when they first saw African elephants. How um, did they see African elephants? I don't know. That part was not said, but I, I would imagine. Huh. I mean, like. How long has the circus been around? Yeah, that's true. You know? They were dragging those poor bastards everywhere. They just released them into the desert. <laughs> I don't think that they saw elephants in the wild. Nah, nah. The circus animals <laughs> running loose. Uh-uh. That was like... You're right. We did talk about the seal earlier. That was real America. That was back when times were just better. Gotcha. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're you're picturing a Native American tribe encountering an elephant just like running across a plane. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Could Just be. wanted to make sure <laughs> I understood what you were saying. I love the thought of it. Um, so elephants also have a, per- a peculiarly, I don't want to even say that word, peculiar, peculiarly, peculiar. Ha- peculiar. I can't even say peculiar. As soon as you look at it. Peculiarly. <laughs> peculiarly. Just don't say it. Just- <laughs> elephants have a particularly stiff-legged gait. Uh, with their legs positioned vertically, directly underneath their body, different from other animals such as bears. Elephants also have a proportionately large head uh, compared to animals or compared to other animals, and the stiff-legged bear is usually described as having a large head. The stiff-legged bear is frequently is frequently described as similar in size and strength to the mastodon. Um, however, there are also several ideas arguing against it. Native American storytellers in most tribes described the creature as being a giant bear, a creature these cultures were very familiar with, and it would have been hard for them to have confused it for something else. Um, That's fair. I mean... Right? Like, they know bears. They do. So why would they call it a bear if it wasn't a bear? Um, And in every story that we know of, stiff-legged bear is a carnivore that eats people. Elephants are vegetarians. The paleo-Indian ancestors of the storytellers were hunters of mammoths slash mastodons, not their prey. So if a cultural memory of an extinct animal had really survived for thousands of years, um, that's a pretty big part of it. Yeah. It is that totally. they don't need people. <laughs> like the relationship what if it was like a, with, with mastodons and, and an, the relationship with mastodons and humans was like totally different. Like they were hu- being hunted down by humans. It wasn't the other way around. Yeah. What if it was like a, what are they called? A sloth bear? You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Something like that even. Was that native to? I have no like idea. The Americas? Well, sloth bear still exists. Yeah, I mean that to me that sounds like the closest thing. Is he stiff-legged? He's Does slow. Does he have joint issues? And he, I'm sure he's swinging. Like if if he's anything like the sloths of the day, slow as fuck. I don't know. And uh, probably swings around real slow. Maybe enough to look stiff. I don't know. True, but you got to think about the size. But also another thing, another important thing to note is that the stiff-legged bear is never mentioned as having a trunk. So if it was an elephant or a mastodon, they'd probably be talking about the trunk. But going back to what we said earlier. Um, I actually, I didn't realize that I had included this in my story. This kind of thing has been known to happen before with dinosaur fossils being reported as dragon bones in both, both Europe and Asia. An elephant's large head and stiff legs could be observed by looking at its skeleton, but its trunk would not have been preserved. So maybe they didn't, they weren't talking about actually encountering it. Maybe they made these stories based off of discovering the bones. Yeah, could very well be. Once again, deep time, no clue what was going on back then. Furthermore, mastodons have uh, had sharp teeth. 
So No shit. Yeah. So actually 18th century scientists thought it might have been carnivorous. Native Americans could have thought the same thing if they had come across the the fossil. Man, that's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, The third possibility is that the stiff-legged bear is not based on an elephant and is exactly what storytellers describe it as, a mythological bear the size of an elephant. Bears would have been a lot more familiar to Native American storytellers and audiences and it's very common worldwide for mythological monsters to be giant versions of well-known animals. Um, additionally, there's different versions of this story in other tribes as well. So um, there is a story of a hairless bear in the Penop- Penobscot tribe, in the Cree tribe of Canada, in the Alabama and Creek tribes, in the Iroquois tribe, and the Shawnee and Lenape tribes as well. At any rate, whatever the inspiration for the stiff-legged bear story was, they are told in many different tribes throughout North America. Well, and the legend lives on today. Cool. Well, I think a lot of these stories, but it's like almost like a genetic thing where these types of images were in, were ingrained in like our ancestors, right? It's like snakes. You see a lot of dragon-type material coming up. Uh, anything with sharp teeth. Uh, anything that's dangerous to humans, typically, I, th- I think genetically is like in our DNA to be afraid of, right? Definitely. And so it's only natural that stories like this will pop up pretty much everywhere. And the exaggerated details probably just get bigger and bigger. Yeah, exactly. Just It's more of a warning than anything else is like to stay away from this type of thing because it will fuck us up. Right. We are just small meat snacks. They're like, don't shoot the arrow at the bear. You're not a good enough shot. Exactly. You're gonna die. Can you break that? Fucking blow up a mountain with that arrow? No, don't chase the bear. All right. Our final creature of the night is the Wendigo. Now, I know someone out there is probably going, what about a skinwalker? Skinwalker stories are a dime a dozen on the internet right now, but I am very interested in the skinwalker, but that is going to be an episode all its own. because there's Totally of its own. It seems like there's just, a, I mean, there is more, at least on the internet, more lore in regards to the skinwalker. The Wendigo is... More of a small story, it feels like. To speak to the skinwalker, too, I want to be really cautious before we take on that episode. Because you're supposed to be careful about what you say about those guys. Yeah, So that's going to be a time-consuming, maybe multi-part series. Yeah, could be. So for now, we're focusing on the distant cousin of the skinwalker, the Wendigo. It is a supernatural cannibalistic monster believed to exist by several Algonquin tribes, including the Ojibwe, Saltu, Cree, Nescapi, and Innu, to reside in the forests of the Atlantic coast and Great Lakes region of North America. While most stories have the Wendigo appearing with some human characteristics, a minority of interpretations tell us about an evil spirit possessing a human and turning them into a monstrosity. A Wendigo is typically created through human cannibalism or by an individual overcome with avarice and greed. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, Wendigos are formed when someone eats another human. Even if they're, like, starving, you become a Wendigo. So Wendigo can be spelled a couple of different ways. And according to the Canadian Cyclopedia, just as there are different versions of the word, there are many variations on the creature's appearance and powers. Sometimes Wendigos are described as exceptionally thin, with the skull and skeleton pushing through its ash-colored mummy-like skin. Other stories describe the Wendigo as a well-fleshed giant who gets proportionally larger the more it eats. According to other legends, the Wendigo has pointed or animal-like ears with antlers or horns sprouting on its head. A Wendigo's eyes have been described as sunken or glowing like hot coals. Sharp and pointy teeth, extremely bad breath, and body odor are also often traits of a Wendigo. From what I've read, 
the antlers and sort of the deer-like face you see on the internet when you Google Wendigo is not part of Native American folklore at all. That's oh. just something that some some fucker on the internet came up with and smacked it all together. Somebody on Tumblr. Yeah, exactly. Feeling a, li- feeling a little spicy. Exactly. And so now, but now it's pretty much, I mean, part of the Wendigo lore, at least to white people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have a Algonquin legend that describes the creature as a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it is thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes. The lips and toes go missing because it has an insatiable hunger and oftentimes it will eat its own skin. Oh. Yeah. It's munching on its own toes? It's like really bad chapped lips and then you just start peeling your fucking lips off. You start gnawing at your Mm -hmm. toes. Yeah. Uh, Another story from the Ojibwa tribes describe it as a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory, and those were the lucky ones. Sometimes, the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. Oof. Yeah, Wendigos, they fucking around. Just And they're always me, hungry. They're just, constantly just hungry. Just freaking eat me. I don't well, want to be would. you. They would. They would nibble them toes right off. Ah! <laughs> uh... The Wendigo is usually, but not always, endowed with powers, such as superhuman strength and stamina that allows it to stalk, overpower, and devour its victims. Wendigos are usually credited with exceptional eyesight, hearing, and sense of smell. They are said to move with the speed of the wind and have the ability to walk across deep snow or even over open water without sinking. And you hear in the stories that you are able to find about the Wendigo, strong winds and cold weather are typically the environment that the Wendigo is going to be found in. And oh, no. Yeah, and where you're most likely going to have an experience with Wendigo. So we're in a perfect spot. And winter is coming. Now, according to some legends, Wendigos can be killed with a conventional weapon, such as a club or a gun. Because always find that so Always shoot it. You're always supposed to shoot it. You just got to shoot at it. Yeah. Like, that's what they're telling us. They're <laughs> telling us that all those other people that have shot at cryptids were doing it right. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Like, we are it's confirmed. It's always been a thing. We, we are always validated. Other legends claim that the Wendigo has to be somehow subdued its icy heart cut out, and then melted in a roaring fire. Much more difficult. Still, other legends claim that only a knowledgeable First Nations spiritual leader, a shaman, can dispatch a Wendigo with a specific spell and ceremony. Cool. Yeah, and that seems like uh, the most plausible way to get rid of one to me. Yeah, I feel like I would definitely trust that way the most. Yeah, you gotta get rid of those evil spirits, man. For centuries, the Wendigo was used not only as a warning, but for breaking social taboos but was also taken literally as an entity to be feared. As Europeans moved into the areas inhabited by these tribes, the deeply spiritual settlers began to learn about these beasts as well. The first European written account of a Wendigo was by Paul Ajun, a Jesuit missionary who lived among the Algonquin people in the early 17th century in what is now Quebec. Quebec. In a report to his superiors in Paris in 1636, Lejeune wrote, This devilish woman! Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? We're going to add French to the list? (laughs) Okay. This devilish woman added that the Wendigo had eaten some Atikamikadukin. I I don't know. It's it's hard enough word to say. It's already hard enough word. You don't have to say it Yeah, I really don't know how to say this. I'm sorry. It's Atikamikadukin, I believe. Yeah, that looks right. Um, These are the tribes that live north of the river that is called Three Rivers, and that he would eat a great many more of them if he were not called elsewhere. But that... Akchin, sort of a werewolf, would come in his place to devour them. 
even up to the French fort, that he would slaughter the French themselves. <gasps> thank you, thank you, thank Dang, you. Dang, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. The accent? The accent. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Father Lejeune's report demonstrates that 17th century Europeans believed in evil supernatural spirits just as strongly as their First Nations contemporaries. And I think that is an important note to make. These people would come into these places and think a lot less of native tribes when their beliefs were totally batshit crazy. Um, they believed in these spiritual beings just as strongly as a lot of these other nations did, uh, but instead chose to view them as uh, totally out of their minds. Yeah. For no were, reason. They were racist. Absolutely. In mm -hmm. fact, Father Lejeune's report predates the Salem witch trials by nearly 60 years. Missionaries in what became Canada continued to report legends of the Wendigo until well into the 20th century. Stories could also be found on the western frontier in the 1800s among Plains indigenous peoples and employees of the Hudson's Bay Company. Uh, those were fur traders, so they operated deep in the woods. Uh, some Hudson's Bay Company traders' records describe encounters with indigenous spiritual leaders claiming to descend into fits of religious passion. Indigenous peoples often accuse these people of being wendigos. HBC traders sometimes describe them as mad. In some cases, community members or relatives of the accused killed the suspected wendigo as a precaution so now are we talking about like people having seizures no it's uh like people having um like mental health fits it could be it, okay. it, but it could be a uh, suspicion of cannibalism ah uh, yeah understood. gotcha mm -hmm. i understand okay in one example three men killed cree spiritual leader abi shabis after he became greedy and killed an indigenous family which led others to believe that he was a Wendigo. Gotcha. So, so it was the it was the act as yeah, well as it was like the avarice the, and the greed mm -hmm. and the behavior gotcha. all led people to believe that a Wendigo had possessed a person. It is increasingly considered by anthropologists that the Wendigo existed as much as a metaphor as a literal monster within native mythology, with the concept described as an early depiction of social cannibalism and applicable to any individual or idea which expresses a relentless drive towards unnecessary consumption and greed. In doing so, the story encourages cooperation and moderation and discourages the taboo activity of cannibalism during harsh winters. So once again, we're getting into those deep fears, deep human fears, and these legends trying to convince people to not do these things. Right. You know, I think a lot of cultures have their own version of, of uh, that monster that needs to keep everyone in line, right? Yeah. The idea that this creature is so related to cannibalism is still seen today in the modern medical term Wendigo psychosis, which is considered by some psychiatrists to be a syndrome that creates an intense craving for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. Ooh. Um, Where's that shit coming from? Right. And this is from uh, legendsofamerica.com. Oh, I didn't mean literally. I meant oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. This is coming from legendsofamerica.com, so take what I say next with a grain of salt, but Wendigo psychosis is a real thing. Initial symptoms are a poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting. Subsequently, the individual develops a delusion of being transformed into a Wendigo monster. People who have Wendigo psychosis increasingly see others around them as being edible, and at the same time, they have an exaggerated fear of becoming cannibals. Oh, that's so creepy. It is a, Dude, can it you is. imagine it's a somebody very that you know that's feeling. like, man, I really don't feel good. I'm just really afraid that I'm going to become a cannibal. I'm just like really scared yeah, that I'm like going to so, eat somebody. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to eat somebody, but I think I'm going to. Like that is terrifying. Man, we're doing 140 on the highway right now. <laughs> can, can we pull over and talk about this? 
Um, the uh, Wendigo psychosis has been documented in different time periods. Uh, one of the bigger documented cases occurred in 1878 when a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta named Swift Runner suffered a case. Swift Runner was a trader with the Hudson's Bay Company who was married and a father of six children. In 1875, he served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. During the winter of 1878 to 79, Swift Runner and his family were starving, along with numerous other Cree families. His eldest son was the first to die of starvation, and at some point, Swift Runner succumbed to Wendigo psychosis. Though emergency food supplies were available at the Hudson's Bay Company Post some 25 miles away, he did not attempt to travel there. Rather, he killed the remaining members of his family and consumed them. He eventually confessed and was executed by authorities at Fort Saskatchewan. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, it's a very real thing. And this guy, when he was at trial, claimed that he had been possessed by a Wendigo. That was what his uh, defense was. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a real thing. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal indeed. But even more brutal is that the Wendigo is also an allegory to the ongoing eradication of Native populations and the emergence of an early consumer capitalistic society in North America. Some anthropologists believe that the violent and unnatural Wendigo symbolically represents the exclusion and forced assimilation experienced by disregarded natives via encroaching and expanding American colonialism in pursuit of manifest destiny. Uh, and this does make sense as uh, sightings were in a very confined period, at least like a, a large number of the sightings were during a very confined period during the 1800s. And uh, it seems that the cases decreased sharply in the 20th century as Native Americans came into greater and greater contact with Western ideologies. Uh, Wendigo creature sightings are still reported, however, especially in northern Ontario, near the cave of the Wendigo, and around the town of Kenora, where it has allegedly been spotted by traders, trackers, and trappers for decades. There are many who still believe that the Wendigo roams the woods in the prairies of northern Minnesota and Canada. Kenora, Ontario, Canada has been given the title of Wendigo Capital of the World by many, and sightings of the creature in this area have continued well into the new millennium. And that's the Wendigo. Ooh. Yeah, so definitely still an interesting monster. I mean, an interesting creature from Native American folklore. Just the information was not as easy to find as I thought it would be. Honestly, because uh, I have heard of the Wendigo before, but there's not as many like uh, encounters, I guess you would say, or sightings of this creature in particular compared to, say, the Skinwalker. Maybe in like a year we can re- even revisit some of the episodes that we've done because I think that there's a lot of information in books. It's just really hard to find the books. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have them initially, and now that we're looking into these things, we are finding more information. So we're definitely going to be rehashing a lot of this stuff. Yeah, taking a deeper dive. But I think, yeah, I don't know, the window go is pretty spooky. No, I totally agree. It's a great one to end on. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I really enjoyed this one a lot. It's nice to look into something a little bit more just interesting and fun as compared to some sort of... uh, terrible murder <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely something a little more like mystic and magical Those, yeah, yeah it's, it's exactly been fun. a little more spiritual uh so we know this episode along with a few prior to it have been a little bit shorter than usual but not for lack of trying guys uh life gets crazy sometimes people start building underground bunkers fox news is suddenly the liberal media <laughs> <laughs> time <laughs> time between my uh ammunition runs gets shorter and shorter you know it happens Well, with the holidays in full swing, we hope that you'll remember we are also humans, and we're pretending that everything is fine just like you. 
We have a bunch of great episode ideas for you guys in the works uh, to go throughout the holidays. Each one, a fun little investigation into a topic that may very well be looked into into a much deeper level at a later time. But we do have a few multi-part episodes uh, in the works, so be on the lookout for those after the start of 2021. Let's just get through this year, y'all. Yeah, we're just trying to get you guys some fun entertainment to get us through into January. And once once that happens, we're going to be in full gear, baby. We're going to be going deeper and deeper and deeper into some really awesome topics. Yeah, we're going to be hitting the books hard. We're going to be teaching y'all lots of stuff. But like I said, let's get through the next month. Yeah, and enjoy the holiday <laughs> season if you can. Before we say anything else, I want to say... Happy Thanksgiving, you guys. Happy Thanksgiving again. I hope again. that you enjoyed your day, whatever it looked like. Um, hopefully your daughter... Oh, <laughs> are retail workers even being forced to do Black Friday this year on um, Thanksgiving? Absolutely. Ah, uh, oh, fuck. Well, absolutely. if that's happened to you, I'm sorry. I've been there. It sucks. You're going to get through it. But I wanted to say before we before we wrap up um, that I'm grateful for each and every one of you. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, we didn't even mention that at the start. I know. That's also is... part of what Thanksgiving is about. It's about showing gratitude. So I wanted to show gratitude to our listeners. It's very kind. We we are very thankful for each and every one of you and the people that have been listening since the start. We have so much more to give you. So thank you guys so much. And we are very grateful for you. And I'm grateful for you, Emily. Oh, I'm grateful for you, Chad. I'm grateful for Montana and Mothman and the Wendigo and all these great stories. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It has. Um, so you guys know the drill. Are you ready? Are you ready to like and subscribe? You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore LRH underscore pod. You can also find us on Facebook at the LRH pod. And check us out on patreon.com slash the LRH podcast. We got a lot of goodies for our subscribers over there. We got merch, we got a Discord channel, and we got some exclusive content all on Patreon. Check it out. Y'all, don't forget, you can email us if you have an episode idea or a problem with us. <laughs> yeah, if you got a something compliment, to say. If you got something to say, you can say it at show at gmail.com. Yeah, feel free to contact us there. Please do. Also, you guys, if you do want to hang out with me just a little bit, more than you are right now you can find me on twitch at weary underscore ttv i'm on there playing hunt showdown some survival horror games uh, some stardew valley things like that uh, on sunday tuesday thursday 8 p.m mountain standard time till sometime late night so if you want to come say hello please do i'd love to see you there yeah so is that it that's it. I think that's everything. Thanks, you guys, so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy and join Thanksgiving. us next time on The Long, Long Road, Road Home. Home. Goodbye, Goodbye, everyone. Bye. See you later. Happy day. <laughs>